I can't do it. <laughs> I just got all the time in the world. Um, <laughs> all right. Stop laughing, will you? We're serious stuff here. It's a serious game face. Gaming face. Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 40. I'm Rocco. And I'm Ryan. And this is Destination Linux. Ryan, what have you been up to, man? I've got this new piece of cool hardware. I am so excited to do a video on it. It's Another the piece of hardware? I know. I know. I've done it again. <laughs> Don't tell the wife. Okay. I got this uh, Blackmagic Intensity Pro 4K card that is a beautiful capture card out there with native Linux support. And when I tell you capture card, this thing capture anything. You got an SLR camera, it'll capture it. You've got, uh, you want to set up uh, captures for any of your consoles or other computers, this card can do it. So I'm very excited to share it. And that's what I've been playing with. But let me tell you something. When I was playing with it, I kept thinking, I've got all of this awesome equipment and hardware, but we really need to have more conversations about, you know, benchmarking and somebody who has an in-depth knowledge of the hardware industry with Linux, an in-depth knowledge of the software yeah, but and who would we get to do that, dude? That's what I was going to ask you. Is there anyone out there that would have that kind of knowledge that we could interview? Maybe we could call up like right now and get on the phone. Hmm. I know. Who? Michael Larabelle. Let's bring him on right now. Let's do it. So today we have with us an American entrepreneur, software engineer, and technology analyst, Michael Larabelle. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rocco. Good to be here. Well, Pharonix is a website that I think everybody in the Linux world hears of, reads, and pulls articles from. We don't really have to explain it, do we? No, I don't think that's <laughs> anything we got to explain to anybody. So you're also, you also have Pharonix Test Suite, yes. which you developed. Mm -hmm. So we are, we're going to get into all of that, but... The first question would be, where did you start with Linux? Uh, I started with Linux back around 2002, 2003, really. Uh, back at the time, I was uh, using Mandrake as my main operating system, but also experimenting with like uh, Yoper and KOS, Nopix, um, SLDS, and like a few others. Um, but then, yeah, from there, basically uh, became more and more interested with Linux. So as you've started using all of these distributions and desktop environments at what point were you like you know i'm gonna start Veronix. i'm gonna start creating and i know it probably all didn't happen in the same day but the test suite for <laughs> benchmarks what made you get into it so much that you just started kind of building this you know empire of media around it uh it was basically out of personal need initially back in the days when even using like a usb mice on linux would be a pain in the ass <laughs> um or graphics cards especially which is one of the areas where we focus um, but basically all these different things where you'd be scouring forums for different how-to guides and how to build everything in a, the days before, like Ubuntu PPAs, where you could easily find different or uh, OpenSUSE build studio and all of that, that it was basically just a big pain dealing with the new hardware, especially that I just saw a need and was trying to fill that need. Nice. 
That seems like a reoccurring theme that they're in the Linux world that there's an there's an open need for something and somebody steps up to fill it. And that's actually how I started on my YouTube channel was with KDE. At the time there was no uh videos out there to tell you exactly how to navigate the settings and how to go anywhere within KDE. There, the documentation wasn't there. And uh, that's how I started on making videos. So, and here we are. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, yeah, definitely. And another shout out to, uh, for the Arc Linux Wiki, for example, didn't exist way back in like the early 2000s. That's like a wonderful resource for a lot of technical information. And overall, I've seen a lot of open source projects improve upon their documentation over the past, say, 10 years or so. Um, which is certainly welcome for newcomers. So I want to put you on the spot with as much, if you go on your side, I mean, you're, you're testing everything. I mean, there are so many, you could get lost in your site for hours, just looking <laughs> at all of the different benchmarks, whether it's from a distribution comparison, hardware comparisons, all of that. But we obviously in our telegram groups and everything else, we get, and we even get questions in our email what distro should I choose? What's your favorite distro? What are you guys using now? Can I put you on the spot and say, what's your favorite distro and what's your favorite desktop environment? <laughs> well, my personal favorite desktop that I use on my most main machine is Gnome Shell without any extensions or anything along those lines. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rocco wins. Back during Gnome 2, I was a big fan of Gnome. And then the early Gnome 3 releases were, quite frankly, a pain and uh, so many rough edges. And so during that time, I was actually back on Ubuntu. So I was using Unity 7 at that point. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been very happy since like, I don't know, GNOME 3.12 or so that they've really vamped up the quality and it's been very pleasant. And then in terms of distributions on my most main system, I'm currently using Fedora Workstation 26, but I have like 60 plus systems here that I'm benchmarking across <laughs> all sorts of distributions. Um, so there's no one distribution that I'd recommend like all newcomers to go to. I'd certainly recommend they try out probably like Ubuntu, Fedora, Linux Mint, and whatever other flavors they're interested in. But it's since they're basically free, try them out and see what you like the most. Yeah, absolutely. Just looking at the background of, uh, I know some people listening to the podcast can't see if you're watching on YouTube, the background of electronics is like a candy <laughs> store. I just want to go in there and start pushing buttons like my three-year-old does and she comes into my room and playing with some of that stuff. It looks awesome. So Thanks. yeah, definitely with all of the things that you're testing and stuff, I think that Gnome gets a, gets a little bonus point there, right? <laughs> definitely gets a bonus point. Look, look, Gnome just, okay, I know that this is a controversial opinion, but Gnome just seems to work well. So yeah, it doesn't uh, yeah, work I definitely well. Agree. <laughs> it, it doesn't work well with everybody, but it does work well. Yeah, especially also if you want to use GNOME. I uh, currently are uh, Wayland the best Wayland support right now, and then um, I do also enjoy X XFCE on a number of systems. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> really? Yes. But Thank I'm disappointed you. they haven't got the 4.14 release yet. But it's true. It's true. <laughs> they're working there. <laughs> we might have to wait a few years for that. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think well, he did his research on us, and he's he's pleased us both now. The host, he said no, then he XFCE, brilliant. All right, so you started uh, in Linux early on. Um, where okay. We wanted to know what made you start Pharonix. And we talked about, you know, you said about there was a need. Is that the only reason that you started Pharonix? Um, previously, I was doing some freelance articles and stuff for some Windows-based review websites. and um, But, yeah, basically just seeing the need for Linux hardware and wanting to use it myself, but the lack of documentation at the time. Um, 
So I was writing in the early days more documentation and interviews, and then, yeah, basically my experiences with different hardware components uh, and how that went with Linux. I mean, one of my favorite things about having done the YouTube videos and things is I, I actually reference them a lot. In a way, it's like the journey, my Linux journey is fully documented from day one. He <laughs> references the them now. all the time. Well, just to watch myself, <laughs> Rocco, Rocco, how dare you? But, you know, there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh, there was a command and I knew how to fix that. And so documenting it and I've got simple notes and all kinds of things. Was it a documentation process for you to go back and reference as well? Um, somewhat and about mostly for helping others since like once I had things going, I basically write into a bash script or so. And then, so I'd be set on my end and then nice. just a matter of informing others about how well a given hardware component will work or not. All right. So you figure you're going to start a website. You're going to help with documentation. Where do you come up with Pharonics as the name? Uh, initially I was just basically punching in a different, uh, different unique names I thought of into Google just to make sure there was like no other website or even any other Google or search results or anything along those lines. And so I came up with Pharonix and then later on I was realizing if you combine Foro, which uh, as a prefix means like in support of, and then Nix obviously for all the Unix or Linux references that it seemed like a good name and there was nothing else in Google with Pharonix. So nice. I took it. Love it. So, you know, Pharonix is a site that is so successful. I think it's, what, a quarter billion hits per year or something like that? Uh, yeah, around there. Some yep. small amount of traffic <laughs> yeah, like that. No big deal. Nothing like our podcast or anything. Right. No, but what do you think made Pharonix so successful? I mean, obviously, it's had a ton of success. We, we know how you've started it and why you started it, but and it was lack of documentation, but other people were out there writing documentation and things similar, trying to kind of fill that need. What made Pharonix take off? Uh, I don't have a magic answer, but what I would just say is that I basically just worked my butt off and quite frankly, um, often hundred hour work weeks and whatnot. And so relentlessly testing all this hardware, writing about it uh, and everything just to make ends meet and make everything work out. See, I think that that was the key point because the thing about Pharonix side is you're going to constantly get some new material and articles right. coming out and it's consistent. So if, you know, there are other sites that have uh, good information and things, but a lot of the times you'll go back there two weeks later and there's nothing new on there. Pharonix, you're going to get new news all the time. Yep. And that probably was a big uh, key to it. And you're going to get a large variety of things. And one of the things that we also want to talk about, of course, is the test suite. Uh, mm -hmm. that you utilize to do some of the benchmarking. And I told you a huge thank you for one of the features in your test suite, which is showing you all the details of your hardware. And it's so simple. You download the test suite, you click the number corresponding to show your hardware, and you're going to see every detail of your hardware listed out. And for somebody like me who changes my hardware so often, sometimes I forget what motherboard I even have <laughs> <laughs> or what processor I have or all those details. And it, it's so detailed. It tells you everything from, you know, the manufacturer, the actual code name for it. Like if it's an Intel Skylake, of course, you know, all the designations and model numbers, it's really brilliant. And we were talking earlier before the show that that's not an easy thing for you to actually <laughs> do uh, to get working, but I absolutely love it. But one of the benchmarks that you did recently was a Fedora, Ubuntu, CentOS, OpenSUSE, Debian, and Clear, and Antergos on an AMD server processor line. Were you surprised by the results? 
of this benchmark because I was. Maybe you don't get surprised <laughs> by this stuff anymore, but I was pretty surprised that Clear OS kind of seemed to be the overall winner he, here. Right. In that regard, it can, um, for those that don't know, Clear Linux is basically an Intel Open Source Technology Center project. Uh, so obviously they're focused on optimizing for Intel hardware. Uh, so yeah, many people are caught off guard by those benchmarks that first of all, Clear Linux can run on AMD processors that they're not artificially placing in any limitations like Intel's been accused of in the past for on Windows of basically if the processor string matches AMD, don't run or do any of this other crap. Uh, so it does run, and especially with the latest generation Ryzen or Epic or Threadripper processors, that it does run very well since it's similar in class to basically a Haswell processor with supporting AVX and everything like that. Um, so it does run well, not as well as clear running on Intel latest generation hardware where you can have AVX 512 and other features, but um, yeah, it runs very well. And then also OpenSUSE Tumbleweed especially also performs very well generally. Mm -hmm. Nice. And do you ever get developers that come back to you after you've done some of these and start like, hey, your results were wrong. You didn't have this set up correctly. Or uh, do you ever get any arguments on that? Um, sometimes with developers, they'll try to bring up an issue. Uh, quite uh, recently, there was a BFQ IO scheduler thing where the developer uh, thought the results looked a bit odd, but then he was able to reproduce it on his end thanks to the Phronics test suite with standardizing the results uh, nice. and the test automation from installation to execution. Uh, so yeah, the past few years, most of the criticism that's been brought up by developers has been addressed by basically them running it on their systems and then they're generally able to reproduce the results on their own. But then there's also been issues with marketing folks at the different manufacturers <laughs> where they are like, oh, these results don't make sense, or what is this <laughs> Linux component and all that. There's a lot of confusion there where they just don't understand the Linux ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, so then it's basically explaining things to them. Yeah, I, I bet it's a, a very hot seat to be in, especially when you're <laughs> talking about hardware manufacturers and, right. you know, they definitely don't want to be said, oh, well, you know, our benchmark, our benchmarks didn't do well. So I, I don't envy you in your position. <laughs> <laughs> right. Especially on the graphics front when it, where they're like, oh, but our Windows driver is this much better or this PR person will be emailing me several times about one matter about an updated Windows driver. And I'm like, I'm not writing about it because it's only Windows. And they're like, well, everyone runs Windows. I'm like, well, for the past 13 years, Phronix has been here and we only focus on Linux. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, this uh, test that you did for all of these distributions, uh, Clear Linux came out. You have a graph at the end of it that talks about wins and losses. Yes. So if you maybe want to explain a little bit more about the wins and the losses, uh, Clear Linux uh, came out with 12 wins and it ended up having four losses. So I take it that means that it's the best one out there for the performance. Uh, if performance is all you care about and that's basically everything that you care about, basically like 100%, then yes, Clear Linux can suit your needs. Um, for example, though, their distribution uh, archive or bundles, as they call it, isn't as well full as like Debian, where there's like 20,000 or 30,000 packages or even PKG source or anything like that. Um, they have a much limited variety of prepackaged software. So if you're caring about just some certain application, you might have to build it yourself or request the maintainers handle it. Uh, they're not, they're fairly desktop focused where you can get the GNOME shell running now and Wayland and everything along those lines on clear Linux. But I don't think last I checked, there's no Thunderbird, for example, packaged. 
Right. So there are some growing pains if you wanted to use it on like the desktop front. Uh, but if you just care about pure performance, they're pretty great. Um, they mostly leverage their performance via various kernel patches they pull in uh, from basically their testing of the upstream Git tree. They'll backport some patches to their own kernel. Um, also, via this compi- compiler flags, they'll basically aggressively tweak that for recent generations of hardware. They do support the last, I believe, since 2010 in terms of like Intel CPUs. So they do have a wide variety. And then they also use a number of other other techniques like with uh, GCC for function multi-versioning. So depending upon the CPU that's running with the same binary, if it detects it has like AVX2 capabilities on that processor, it'll take a different code path and go make use of the AVX2, all thanks to this FMV feature in uh, GCC. And there's also some other performance optimizations within glibc and other packages that unfortunately more distributions aren't using. So CentOS came out second in wins for, with six, but it came in with 13 losses. So what what do you translate out of that? Uh, it's uh, not too surprising because of CentOS being derived from RHEL and their enterprise focus. So they're still shipping with the older GCC 4.8 compiler. And so there's not nearly as many optimizations for newer processor architectures in there. And just being based upon an older kernel, but they backport many of their patches. Um, it's a very stable OS, which is what it's intended to be for the enterprise, but not necessarily the fastest always. What I love about the benchmarks that you had on the site is it there you have everything from conversions from wave to flag, MP3, a wave to MP3, H.264 to NTSC video compressions, kernel compiling, 3D rendering. So somebody who's looking for a specific distribution that does a certain specific task, namely, or they spend a lot of the time or that's the most important portion for that. You could go there while Clear may have overall had some great performance. You could go find one of the distributions out of those that you tested that meets your specific needs for the things that you're doing the most. And I think that's pretty awesome. Whereas a lot of, you know, I came from the Windows world for a long time. Everything was just gaming benchmark. Right. Like, <laughs> how does crisis run? That's all I care about. Yeah. Nothing else going to show. But, uh, you know, you kind of give the full plethora. And that's one of the things we try to focus on is not just, you know, certain things, but all the things you could do on Linux. It doesn't matter what it is. And I was telling Rocco recently, I just got this Blackmagic Intensity Pro 4K capture card. And it's got Linux native support. Are you familiar with this card at all? Uh, No, I'm not. Okay. Well, then. This is going to be a dead issue because I was hoping you could tell me why it only works. Uh, one of the reasons, one of the things they do is only on CentOS do they allow their package to be installed. And apparently it's a big company that does a lot of cinema. And CentOS is one of the, I guess, servers that a lot of the big media companies utilize. And I was curious if you knew any reason why they preferred CentOS, if it's had any benchmarking you know, science to show that it's better in that environment with video compression or anything along those lines? Uh, it's most likely just due to the fact that most uh, Disney and Pixar and a lot of the other big firms either run on RHEL or CentOS, with CentOS which is binary compatible. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, they're targeting, like, the older, if they're on uh, EL7, like Linux 3.10. Uh, so if they're just providing a binary and then a small patch for their shim with the kernel, that, yeah, it's not going to build nicely on any newer kernel. Gotcha. That explains it. Because, yeah, like you don't find there are some uh, movie firms and whatnot these days running on Ubuntu, but a majority of them are still been using Red Hat for years. And so they're always using the enterprise OS and just not running Arc or 
what whatever other distribution that week is popular. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. All right, so we're gonna put you on the spot again. So <laughs> preference, CPU preference, Intel, AMD. Uh, well, AMD with uh, the Ryzen launch earlier this year has been very compelling for very multi-threaded workloads. They are still struggling in terms of IPC performance or instruction per clock. Uh, but if you want an all-around system these days in 2017, you can pick either AMD or Intel and get a very competent offering. Uh, if you have a big budget, uh, AMD Threadripper is performing wonderfully, but it'll be about $1,000 for the processor. Or the Ryzen 7 processors with their 8 cores and 16 threads are doing wonderful as well. And uh, just this week was the Coffee Lake launch, and that's where Intel upped their core counts for their i3, i5, and i7 desktop processors. And so now they are much better in line with Ryzen's core offerings. Uh, and so basically from either vendor, you can get what you want and very good performance depending upon your price range and any brand preference. On my main system currently, I'm running a Ryzen 5. Uh, that's mm -hmm. mostly because I had an uh, extra one lying around and some extra hardware, and so I use that. Uh, and I basically have many other systems for all my intense workloads, but I'm very happy with both the Ryzen and then Cabby Lake or Coffee Lake. Now, would your response have been similar, say, if we were interviewing you prior to Ryzen coming out? Uh, if Prior to Ryzen, like in 2016, if you want care about performance, you really had to just go for Intel because, unfortunately, AMD didn't really have a competent offering for performance workloads. Yeah, I am so sorry. I wish I could make the statement that I had an extra Ryzen laying around, but I am so <laughs> excited to, to do a Ryzen build. I've, I've, I've loved AMD. First of all, it's fantastic for the market, and I think you would agree to have AMD up to this level with Intel. It's going to push both of them. They both have two very competent products out there right now, and that's just awesome for everybody. Um, but I've basically, like you said recently, I've pretty much had to stick with Intel just because of the performance difference. But now I can go back to AMD, and I'm so excited about that. And I'm glad to hear, based on your experience, you're seeing that as well, because you benchmark this stuff all the time. So you would know uh, whether you know there's a huge gap between it. But every article we're reading really seems like they're closing in mm -hmm. on Intel. Exactly, especially for multi-threaded uh, performance or any uh, applications that you can make use of multiple CPU cores. Right now, Intel is winning in the single-threaded space, but at the same time, there's more applications beginning to make use of OpenMP or MPI or other uh, multi-threading approaches. And then uh, the second-generation Zen processors supposedly will offer better IPC performance, so hopefully next year we'll see AMD even more competitive. But yes, it's been really wonderful with the competitiveness to Intel where with their Coffee Lake launch for uh, the, the processor I just got done testing earlier today was the Core i3-8100, where it's a 3.6 gigahertz true quad core with integrated graphics for less than $120. Wow. wow. That is crazy. That's good for the market. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So another on-the-spot question. AMD versus NVIDIA for graphics cards. AMD's second success this year was with Vega. Uh, it, Vega performs fairly well uh, under Linux, roughly in line with the GTX 1080. But the caveat is right now there is what's called a DC display code that is not yet mainline in the Linux kernel. So if you boot up, say, Ubuntu 17.10 right now or Fedora 26 or the 27 beta, you'll basically get no accelerated, accelerated graphics out of the box if you have a monitor attached to your Vega graphics card. So that's a big issue for many users. 
with the upcoming Linux 4.15 kernel that should be mainlined, assuming Linus Torvalds does not have any objections to it, as it's a big uh, 120,000 line patch to the kernel. Um, so it's a big stumbling block for many people that just want to plug in their graphics card and have it work under Linux. You either have to use the AMD GPU Pro hybrid driver, which only works on a few distributions, or rely upon a third-party kernel build for your given distribution, or compile a kernel yourself to have this big patch set applied to your kernel so you can get a display support. So hmm. Vega right now isn't too friendly in that regard, but once you get it going, it works very well. Um, but then if you just don't care about open or closed source drivers and just want something that always performs well, there's the GTX 1080 series, basically works quite well. Yeah. Uh, so it really comes down to personal preferences. And then the other ongoing open source issue for AMD is they haven't open source their Vulkan driver, which they're rewriting to open source. But at the same time, there's been the Rad V community driven effort for creating their own Vulkan driver. So we're going to end up with a situation where there's two competing open source drivers for Vulkan on AMD. AMD is backing their driver they're rewriting because it works on Windows as well. So there's more code sharing, less resources involved. But meanwhile, the Rad V driver lives within Mesa, is Linux focused, and is, uh, as of this week is conformant to the Vulkan 1.0 specification. So it'll be interesting to see in the months ahead what happens once AMD open sources their driver if there's going to be a new concerted effort or what's the situation going to be? I was going to say, there's so many great questions I have for you in that statement there. (laughs) So one of the frustrations that uh, I've had personally, I have the 1080 is getting it to work in anything that's Wayland. So if I try to install Fedora black screen, uh, if I install Ubuntu 17.10, of course it's in testing black screen. I can't seem to get past any Wayland-supported distributions. If it's X-supported, I'm right in. I have no issues at all. Is there something specific to that? Is NVIDIA supporting Wayland? I get contrary articles when I read it. I can't tell. At some point, they weren't, and some people are saying now they do have support for it. Where do they stand? NVIDIA's proprietary Linux driver uh, currently supports the EGL streams-based approach to Wayland compositing. Uh, the EGL streams is basically how they're dealing with uh, buffer allocation and management. Uh, whereas right now, well, well actually, just step back for a second. Wayland doesn't specify about the buffer allocation API and everything along those lines. It's basically a item left up between the compositor, which is basically Gnome's Mutter or KDE KWIN, and the different Wayland implementations and the graphics drivers for how they want to communicate for basically their buffer creation and all along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so up to now, everyone's been using GBM, which is a generic buffer manager within Mesa that's used by the open source drivers. But NVIDIA doesn't, isn't fond of GBM because they say there's some performance issues with their architecture for supporting it or problems along those lines. They do appear to be like valid arguments and just not NVIDIA being any NIH condition or anything like that. Right. So they initially proposed what's called the EGL streams approach, which is part of EGL and a chrono specification. The open source drivers don't want to implement EGL streams as an alternative to GBM because they have their own complaints with that. NVIDIA has already implemented it, but then NVIDIA has also provided EGL streams patches for GNOME's Mutter to implement that within GNOME. So it can talk basically either via GBM or EGL streams. So we're in the case where GNOME can work fine currently with auto tree patches to use Wayland on NVIDIA. And 
there's the case where KDE with Kwin, they don't want to uh, adopt EGL streams. They just want to support one API and not spread out the resources. Right. So over the past like two years, NVIDIA has been working on a new API uh, for Unix device memory allocation that would be happy to all driver developers. And then in turn, all Wayland compositors could just focus upon that one. Um, they're making progress, but it probably won't be until maybe the second half of 2018 before we really see anything usable for end users on that front. Gotcha. So it's a bit messy right now, unfortunately. NVIDIA has valid points. Open source driver developers have valid points. And so users are unfortunately stuck in the middle. And Yeah, that's a shame because it's the end users that lose in the end. Right. But at least the X.org server has been getting more bug fixes and security fixes and everything along those lines. Um, and there's the shared library handling, handling via lib input. So the X.org server is continuing to improve and there isn't many use cases where a user just outright wants to be on Wayland aside from the fact of being on Wayland. Right. Like you can stick with X.org server for another year and you're pretty much going to be fine. All right. So before the interview, uh, I actually looked up you and you were interviewed by the Linux Action Show guys in 2012, I think. Uh, yeah, it sounds about right. Okay. So in that interview, you had, they had asked you the question, about the differences in performance when comparing open source to proprietary drivers. Is that, has that changed? Are we? Oh, it's uh, changed immensely. Uh, since 2012 is when AMD began working mostly on their open source driver and then their hybrid driver approach where now on Linux are open source and closed close source driver both rely upon the AMD GPU kernel driver and then AMD's Pro driver still ships with their uh, closed source OpenGL and currently closed source Vulkan driver and OpenCL stack, but are relying upon more open source code. So that's yielded more investment of their work into the upstream kernel rather than maintaining their own kernel driver for the closed source driver and a separate one that's within the DRM tree of Linux kernel. Uh, and then there's been significant improvements, especially to the Radeon SI Gallium 3D driver and the AMD GPU LLVM backend for handling shader compilation and execution. Uh, so since 2012, yeah, there's been a remarkable difference where you're now seeing AMD compete with NVIDIA in graphics driver performance with either driver. Nice. Very but nice. on like the open source NVIDIA driver front, unfortunately, there hasn't been any real progress because they're basically blocked from offering real reclocking support or being able to run the GPU and video memory at the rated frequency compared to what their boot frequencies because NVIDIA hasn't released a sign firmware for the PMU to probably control the fans and other power settings. So if you're a gamer and you have an NVIDIA card, you more or less have to install the proprietary drivers? Yes. The only real exception is the Kepler or uh, GTX 600 series that has fairly good open source driver support these days. If you manually reclock your graphics card by going to the command line and writing some values to SysS out, so it's not like too user friendly, but you can get pretty decent performance. I'd say seventy to eighty percent generally. Hmm. Rocco, you go to the terminal and change all your video settings. I do not go to the terminal and change all my <laughs> yeah, <me> settings. <laughs> um, let me ask you this: one of the things that just seems so exciting and still does for Linux gaming and Linux gaming future is Vulkan. That was the other thing when you were talking uh, earlier. I had so many questions I wanted to get out. <laughs> Can you explain in kind of layman's terms, what is Vulkan and what is it going to mean for Linux gaming? 
Uh, Vulkan is basically a, a way for applications or games to access like a lower level interface um, for basically drawing and rendering, but it also has like compute capabilities. So basically you're able to get more control of the graphics card where the uh, driver would generally handle more with OpenGL where you're just basically trying to draw a triangle or whatnot. Um, with Vulkan, you're able to basically have more control over the video memory uh, and the buffer allocation is part of that. And then uh, the whole pipeline compared to OpenGL. So you have much greater control. And so from that aspect, you're able to tune your application to perform the best. Basically having lower level knobs you can play with for how to optimize your performance based upon what you're trying to render or compute. Uh, so it's very helpful for the Linux ecosystem that this basically is similar to Directory D12 or Apple's Metal APIs mm -hmm. and allows for much more tuning. So it but, unlocks it unlocks but, the power and it also, there's a lot of people talking about allowing you to be cross compatible. So if I go and I write in Vulkan, I can take that same code and utilize it for my port over to Linux. So now for developers, they're not having to spend as much time working on all of this, you know, all these different settings within the code for unlocking GPU, everything else, as they would today, where they're going to have to write for DirectX, and then they're going to have to write a complete separate processes for Linux. Is that Currently, true? I would say it's a partially true statement. Um, with the few Vulkan Windows games, you haven't necessarily seen them ported to uh, Linux yet. Mm -hmm. But then with the ports done by like Fertile Interactive with uh, Down of War 3 or Mad Max, they on Windows had their Direct3D, and I'm not sure if they had OpenGL on Windows exposed or not, um, whereas Fertile ported that to OpenGL and then later ported that to Vulkan. Um, there are some different like libraries for helping you port to across um, Metal and DX12 and Vulkan, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily bug-free, especially you know whenever anything complex is involved. Right. One of the major issues originally with bringing games to Linux was so many OpenGL driver bugs. Well, when you're introducing all these other helper libraries to help you deal with uh, these low-level APIs, it's certainly prone to introduce new bugs. And uh, supporting the graphics API of Linux is just one step of the problem. There are other middleware issues to deal with, and uh, SDL handles a lot of the input and other display features, but still there's a lot of other headaches to deal with. So. Is Vulkan as exciting as you thought it was going to be or that the hype that people make it out? Or is it one of those things that really exciting at first and everyone was talking? Because when it came out and Doom 2016 was in Vulkan and I was able to play it in Linux and I was getting 140 frames per second in nightmare mode, I was like, this is going to change everything. And then Doom stills never ported. So <laughs> there you go. I'm certainly excited about Vulkan on the technical level and how fast the open source drivers have been able to bring in the support via the Intel ANV driver and then the open source RADV Radeon Vulkan driver is that they're able to basically keep up with the latest uh, chrono specification shows just how much simpler it is from a driver perspective for supporting Vulkan compared to with the open source OpenGL drivers generally lagging years behind at one point uh, that is much simpler for them so it it's a big assistance to ensuring good quality Linux drivers. And there's a lot of new tooling and open source projects being built up around Vulkan, uh, especially with uh, making use of LLVM for all these different conversion passes for being able to convert like Direct3D shaders mm -hmm. into Spear V for dealing with Vulkan. Uh, there's been some metal work for uh, via Molten VK for being able to run Vulkan applications on Mac. 
Um, so there's a lot of exciting things from a technical angle that I like about uh, Vulkan, but whether it's going to yield more Linux ports is yet to be determined with it being basically a year and a half in for Vulkan being around. Right. Still I guess we'll early. see. In, yeah, I guess we'll see in 2018, but I haven't seen any major announcements of studios about any upcoming Q4 or H1 2018 games that are going to be Vulkan and everything along those lines. Hmm. Um, so it's mostly a waiting game. Like I'm, I'd say I'm still fairly optimistic about seeing more Linux ports that perform well, um, thanks to Vulkan. But yeah, there isn't too much enthusiasm out of the game studios, it seems, at this point. Right. But it still could shift with all these different projects still coming about that are making use of Vulkan for being able to better capture and um, analyze performance issues and basically debug things. And there's around 1,600 projects, I believe, on GitHub making use of Vulkan. So there's a lot building, but where that direction will go is what's... Well, it's interesting. You know, it's a market share problem. My brother develops games and, you know, he's going to go for Windows as a small developer because that's where your mass is, you know, right there. Uh, as a single developer, it takes so much time for him to go indie developer to go and try to figure out, well, how do I make it work for Linux? Especially that's not what he natively uses. And I imagine a lot of developers, even the big house ones are saying the same thing. Well, I have to take three people, dedicate them over here to trying to figure out how to port it. Feral Interactive and Steam have been huge to push it. But what's been interesting to me is you. we saw this news this week that, you know, Linux share of the market has gained, I think it was at 6.4, 6.7% of the market now, which was huge because back when I was first switching to Linux, which was less than a year ago, we were talking 2 to 3% were the numbers that were given out. So that's a huge gain. So you could definitely see that some studios would be starting to take interest in that. But then in the same week, Steam released a report saying our amount of gamers using Linux has dropped. And of course, we know there's lots of problems with the way Steam does their algorithms there for determining, for instance, if you ever log into Windows to play games, that may be when you get your survey and they're pulling the data and it doesn't actually represent the 90% of the time you may game in Linux. So nobody would ever log into Windows to play games. <laughs> nobody does that. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> so I mean, I think there's some interesting things because I think it's a market share problem and I've seen, you know, so many articles when Vulcan's coming out that all these big studios were playing with Vulcan, but I wonder if it's really a question of is there going to be enough attention there? Do you have any thoughts or comments on that? Well, uh, first off, with regards to that 6% number that came out earlier this week, uh, net market share since revised it down to 4% which seems a bit more realistic, but it's still almost doubling or uh, 50% gain over the course of a month. So I still don't right. have much faith in those numbers, but in part due to Linux, uh, Chrome, Chromebooks being based on Linux, mm -hmm. that, that might account for it with all the back to school sales and whatnot. Right. Uh, I certainly agree that there are areas where the Linux market share is growing, but in terms of whether the Linux gaming market share is growing and whether that can uh, keep up at the same pace that uh, Steam is growing itself with Windows, especially in the Asian markets, um, doesn't yield a whole lot of confidence on my part. Uh, from everything that I've heard from game developers and everything, it's still roughly 1% to 2% for the gaming market share. So the Steam numbers don't appear to be too far off. There's, of course, people that complain all the time, oh, it's horribly inaccurate and I'm sure you never hear methodology. that. <laughs> no. Yeah. You never hear that critique, right? <laughs> um, but from everything that I've done and talked with uh, different developers, like it's fairly accurate. So 
Um, <laughs> even if it's even if the number's off by half, you know that's still only one point two percent of the Steam market shares accounted uh, for Linux. So, right. I, I yeah, I don't see it more than like two percent at this point. Okay, that's interesting. Well, hopefully, it continues to grow. One of the questions we had on here is. What is your favorite Linux game right now? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, the past number of years, I really haven't had any extra time for like gaming, <laughs> gaming per se. So these days when I'm gaming, I'm spending a few minutes looking for like driver bugs to just basically if Forl's launching some new title next week, I'll fire it up and see on like five different graphics cards if I can run into any like texture bugs or right. running artifacts or really horrible performance. Uh, so I mostly enjoy games just for that testing, but I have spent like a couple hours every once in a while trying out uh, the HTC Vive with the different VR titles on Linux. Oh, nice. Uh, so Serious Sam VR is probably like my favorite for testing out on <laughs> nice. Linux right now, uh, which works generally pretty good, assuming your graphics uh-huh. card's powerful enough. Because right. yeah, you can start to get feel pretty woozy if the per- performance isn't up to spec. Right. Very That's nice. That's a great game. Great choice there. <laughs> All right, well, so, there aren't too many Linux VR games either. Though. Yeah, I was going to say your your options there are probably a little limited, <laughs> but good to know there's some out there. Yeah. All right, so another on-the-spot question. Keyboard and mouse or controller? Um, In terms of my personal preference, I use a keyboard and mouse when I'm testing because I have like 20 yes. keyboards and mice, but I do have a steam controller, Wrong which oh, okay. if, if I feel like going over to the, that system or go find <laughs> it among my other hardware, like sure, I'll plug it in, but like it works nice, but I would just encourage every gamer in general, whether it be Linux or windows, just to try it out. I'm yeah, yeah. like whatever local store you can try out a steam controller, see how you like it. And then just a personal preference, just like no more KDE. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a steam controller too. And I've tried to get used to it. I started years ago. I started out on console. But after moving to PC and seeing the uh, the exact, the exactness, is that a word? The exactness you can use with uh, a mouse and keyboard, especially with FPS shooters, there's no way I could go back to a, uh, a controller. So yeah. I prefer a mouse and keyboard. Well, I think Steam has proven, the, the, I think precise is the word you were looking Exactness. for, but it's, uh, you know, this is the most precise follow-up to a keyboard and mouse. So obviously I prefer, and that's just my personal take, I prefer a mouse and keyboard depending on the game. If I need to be ultra precise, first-person shooter, CSGO, something like that, mouse and keyboard is the way to go. But sometimes you just want to kind of lay back in your chair and use it. And this is the second follow-up to that. This is the second most precise thing out there whereas using like an xbox controller you don't get that same precision that you get out of the steam controller i was amazed because i heard so many bad things about this and i love your comment michael about go to a store and play with it so many bad things (laughs) about the steam controller because i expected it to be terrible and i just i literally fell in love i was like this thing is amazing it's just it's got so much to it that you can do with it and with the community configurations and stuff so I agree. Both are definitely great options. Right. There. It's also uh, really nice, especially when there's the Steam deals where it's like $19.99, at least in the U.S., for buying a Steam controller, uh, that it's pretty cost effective. And then also mm-hmm. if you have like a gaming room or a gaming living room PC, that chances are you want to use a controller and not lug around like a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse right. where you could run into latency issues there as well. And so, yeah, just try it out and see what works best for you. Definitely. All right. So I guess our well, next question wait, is not going to get much steam. Right? Wait, Marco? I got to ask this question. Okay, he's forcing uh, okay. me. 
He's yes. twisting my arm to ask me this. I asked him to please make sure he has this question in there. Do you play Rocket League, and would you be up for a match with him and I? <laughs> <laughs> I have played Rocket League for, uh, I think, a total of, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes. Uh, what? There was the Radius, Radeon SI uh, issue where there was a bunch of black textures, and then there was a Mesa Git commit, and it got fixed up. And so, yeah, unfortunately, all that I've played with Rocket League has been verifying whether this Radeon SI Gallium 3D driver texture issue still existed or not for an article, and it takes some screenshots. Well, great. So you're at the same skill level as us. Yeah, just like we started out yesterday. <laughs> there actually is an issue right now with uh, Rocket League on Linux where the new map, uh, Farmstead, has all black textures on the walls. I was running into that when we were playing. Yeah, and the transparent well, goals. Uh, what driver are you using? The proprietary uh, NVIDIA one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. well, that's actually uh, surprising, but... Uh... On Windows, yeah, it doesn't happen, it. but uh, on Linux, there that is that they haven't fixed it yet as of as of right now. So, have you tried their new uh, three eighty seven? Uh, yeah, three eighty seven is their uh, recent beta release from Nvidia that came out a few days ago. That might no, I haven't. That might fix okay. it, but I haven't tried it yet. Yeah, I'm on. I'm still on three seventy five point six six. So oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I definitely recommend you at least move to three eighty four point ninety, which is their current long lived driver branch. Uh, there's been a lot of fixes and improvements in the 384 series, but yeah, then 387 is the very latest. Okay, definitely. So dual booting games to play games. I think we kind of answered this a little bit. Sin or necessity? Dual booting right now with Linux, you know, to if you're a gamer. Right. It- um, I don't personally dual boot because I don't have the extra time to game. Like I do install Windows when I want to want to run some Windows or Windows subsystem for Linux versus Linux or Mac OS benchmarks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't keep any Windows PCs around, but I don't like shun people that do boot into Windows to have the games they want that aren't available for Linux and can't perform or play properly under Wine. So the fact that Rocco played a game in Windows recently doesn't bother you? No, I don't hate you, Rock or <laughs> There's more important stuff in the world than if you Thank move the when Thank you want to play your... somebody doesn't hate game. me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've talked about um, gaming. Do you see, ever see, or maybe what do you what do you see has to change in order for Linux to become a viable option for studios to make games on? Do you ever see it getting to the point where a AAA title will come out day one with Linux? Or is that just a pipe dream? Uh, there's certainly the potential for a day one AAA title to see Linux support. It's already happened in the past with like back in the good old days with uh, ID software for enemy, ter- uh, enemy territory Quake Wars. And then uh, if I remember right, Quake 4 also had same day uh, Linux binaries and everything available. Um, so... I don't see it as much of an issue for a major publisher to put out a AAA title with day one Linux support. It would be something more astonishing and shocking if they put out a Linux exclusive or release for Linux first. That would certainly drive up uptick in gamers wanting some new title. But I don't see any studios realistically doing that of going Linux first or Linux exclusive because their entire customer base is Windows. And so unless there's some definitive reason to be using Linux, that makes this game so much better. They're, it's not in their commercial interest to do so. <laughs> um, so I see the Linux market share for gaming continuing to rise slightly maybe, 
like if and then by 2020 or so if it hit five percent i'd probably be pretty surprised or in like a decade out if it hit 10 percent, very surprised i don't unfortunately see anything to make the linux gaming market share rise rapidly with uh Arting putting out the steam boxes perhaps too early when their hardware specifications and driver state weren't as good and the Linux ports, some of them available, were performing very poorly for what Steam was advertising them as a SteamOS game. Um, Valve hasn't been doing too much lately with SteamOS. They're still maintaining it. So it'll be interesting to see if they have a like second wave of Steam machines come about. But with many people already having distaste after the first round of Steam machines and their performance and basically being a flop, it'll be interesting to see what happens. So unless Valve can come up with some really compelling reason why you should have a steam machine in your house, I don't see too much happening on that front. Hmm. It's a shame because it would be it it's it is a it may be a pipe dream, but it, it would be an awesome day to see at least have it be comparable to Windows as far as you any game you would want to play would be available on both Windows and Linux. I don't know if we'll ever see that day, but it would be a, it's an awesome dream to have. It's certainly an awesome dream. And like, yeah, years ago, I was more optimistic. But now with closely monitoring the situation for the past 13 years, like I'm just becoming more realistic. And while Bell's first few years were good and they initially started out with around 2% market share for uh, Linux and everything else like that, it's degraded since in comparison to their window market share. And with SteamOS and Steam Machines not having anything special right now and see how really hard to say what will come you're crushing my dreams man <laughs> <laughs> well is there hope and you know um google's been launching some you mentioned the chromebook they have a new chromebook coming out i think it's the first one i well maybe one of their previous ones but is it the pixel it's about a thousand dollar laptop right out there it's actually unlike most of the previous there were some exceptions to what i'm saying but most of the previous ones you'd see and your best buys and stuff had like mm-hmm. 16 gigabytes of storage and all that. This thing really seems like they've, they've put a beautiful screen in it. They've put a powerful GPU in it. They've put lots of storage in there. Is the market, because obviously these Chromebooks have gained, like you said, a lot of the percentage of growth in Linux can be attributed probably to some towards the Chromebook. If Would gaming companies, do you think that could have a take? Could Google be the unsung hero here that could push more game development towards Linux because of Chromebook? Um, realistically, I'm not too sure. Uh, with Chromebook right now, yeah, Chrome OS base, they don't have Steam for Chrome OS, but they do allow now the ability to run Android games and Android applications atop Chrome OS. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, there hasn't been any effort that I've been aware of recently where there's been a good experience for running Android games on a native GNU Linux environment. Uh, So it may help out Chrome OS, and I think the current Chromebooks, even the new Pixel hardware, is a bit too underpowered for basically seeing any Steam port and seeing it really come about. Um, So at this point, I don't think it's going to be a big game changer in terms of boosting the gaming Linux market share or anything dramatic. It might be a hit within the education environment, so we may see a a greater market share of um, browser-based activity for uh, Linux, but... In terms of any real difference, I'm not sure. Interesting. All right, so give us some good news, man. <laughs> when you when you when you started Pharonix in 2004, uh, you know Linux was what it was back then. What is there anything that has you excited about Linux 
now versus then when you started Pharonix? Um, certainly, uh, back when I started Pharonix, it was mostly a matter of whether hardware worked under Linux, whereas these days the issue is mostly how well it performs or what features are missing. But if you buy a PC in 2017, you can mostly assume it's going to run Linux to some capacity. Yeah. Uh, like with the re- recent AMD Rise launch, it was like near perfect under Linux. The main issue was you can't just read the CPU temperatures, which is going to be fixed in the next kernel release. So it's really just a minor feature in the grand scheme of things. Uh, but yeah, overall, for like most hardware, you can expect it to have Linux drivers available. Or with uh, this week's Coffee Lake launch, the graphics are supported, but it's hidden behind a kernel command line argument since it wasn't tested in time. So there's still like a few gotchas and just other things. But these days, it's just a matter of like how close performance feature-wise is Linux getting to Windows rather, rather than does the hardware actually just work or not. Wow. And do you think that, that, we, that Linux is comparable in performance? Uh, generally speaking, yes. It depends in part on how well the software is ported or compatible with Linux. Uh, with software like Blender or um, other applications like LibreOffice that are designed with multi-platform in mind and that aren't making use of some obscure like Windows-focused middleware, mm-hmm. you're generally finding good performance or in some cases even better performance on Linux. Um, but then there's a case with like some Linux game ports where the performance is subpar because they just made sure everything was rendering and pushed out the door rather than really tuning it and caring truly about the cross-platform behavior. Um, so overall, Linux is performing on par with Windows or in the case of like servers and HPC computing ahead of Windows. Um, so they're improving on that front. Uh, some of the other stuff that's exciting me at the moment is uh, Wayland with uh, Gnome's great support for Wayland these days. Uh, Pipewire for wanting to be basically the pulse audio video and Red Hat investing heavily into that. Uh, a lot of compiler innovations right now happening around LLVM, which goes back to the Balkan theme with all this great tooling and different open source improvements. Uh, it's also exciting to me that Ubuntu is switching back to GNOME and Wayland rather than going their Unity 8 and Mer route. <laughs> I agree. Totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's talk about Pipewire a little bit. Uh, well, right now, Pipewire is mostly focused on being basically uh, the video equivalent of Pipewire. Uh, Pipewire, Pipewire is wanting to potentially replace uh, Pulse Audio in the future as a sound server. Please well, right- do. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand um, Pulse Audio personally. <laughs> I couldn't stand it like six or eight years ago, but these days it seems to work out pretty well for most of my needs. But anyhow, um, Pipewire is being used now for offering remote display support on GNOME, so you can have remote displays working across Wayland and X11 environments. Uh, and there's been a few other Red Hat projects just for testing out Pipewire. So there isn't like any killer feature at the moment where end users can go get excited and go download something and have fun. Uh, but it's an interesting technology to look forward to in 2018. It's kind of a replacement for GStreamer, is that right? Uh, yes, or they can sort of coexist in parallel. Gotcha. Because okay. GStreamer deals a lot more with codecs and everything along those lines. And uh, Pipewire, from everything that I've looked at in the documentation and code, has been more of like the fundamentals for getting video handling working nicely. Gotcha. Excellent. Okay. So let's talk, let's end on Pharonix, the website. So you put out, you put out so many articles. You put in so many hours into this. And... It does. It's not for free. Like you don't do it for free. Um, 
or you shouldn't be doing it for free is what I'm saying. (laughs) So you have a premium uh, section for your website. And what does that offer? Um, yes, currently the Phronics premium subscription service for basically like $3 per month or a hundred to 150 for a lifetime subscription basically offers you ad free access to the site. So basically you don't have to worry about ad blocking or whatever else you want to do or other, um, things like that. But then also for my reviews that are like multi pages where like my processor benchmarks will go out to sometimes 10 pages or more. It's all rendered on a single page, which is one of the features people really like is just being able to continuously scroll down. Um, of course, with the non-ad-free version of the site, I got to split it out to multiple pages to ensure maximum ad revenue to be able to cover all my costs and everything like that. Um, and then also the additional load if we're loading all this content, but someone just closing the article halfway through and whatnot. So that's limited to premium only. Uh, they get priority feedback. Like if uh, premium members email me and be like, hey, can you test how well GCC 8 with this new patch is performing versus GCC 7 or... Uh, can you run some fresh benchmarks of Mesa Git or whatever? Like they'll get priority uh, requests honored for me. So like if I see that and it's a premium supporter, then sure, I'll try to find the time to fire up those benchmarks that week or so. So on average, how long does it take you from start to finish testing? When you say I'm going to I'm gonna do this benchmark, how long on average does it take you to start from from start to finish? Uh, it really depends upon what it is that I'm benchmarking. If it's like comparing a lot of graphics cards or if it just compiling, um, comparing a bunch of different compilers where I can basically automate that with the Phronix test suite and Foromatic and my other, uh, benchmarking software offerings, uh, that it's pretty easy to automate that. But with like a graphics card, I need to change them out, turn off the computer, put in the different graphics card, or in the case of a large processor comparisons, spanning different sockets and motherboards, um, reinstalling the same Linux OS or basically reusing the hard drive and swapping out a different stuff. Uh, so for a simple article, it can be just, you know, maybe two hours, but then for like the Intel coffee, Lake processor benchmarks I've been working on, I probably spent 60 hours the past week just preparing wow. benchmarks and doing that. So once the benchmarks are going, the front access suite pretty much automates all of the processes involved there, but then there's still the analytics and then, yeah, just all the swapping of hardware and then, writing up the articles and managing all of that. So there's a lot of time and effort put into this. Oh yeah. I, last time I took a single 24 hour period off of work was uh, early 2013. Wow, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much close to a day off if I work only like four hours. Oh my <laughs> gosh. But well, it's a passion and it's always interesting things to open source with continually advancements being able to see the latest code changes via Git for the Linux kernel or anything else happening. And it's just a never ending, never, you know, it's just always happening and it's great. So if you appreciate the Phronics website, you should definitely go at least look and see if you can support them with a premium subscriber. That would be awesome. <laughs> definitely yes, getting some priority requests in there. That doesn't <laughs> hurt either, right? I oh, love, yeah, like, that. I yeah, love yeah. that advantage. Yeah, like uh, sometimes when it's been like the slow season, like around Christmas where there isn't like any major hardware launches or most developers aren't doing any major code patches and someone will send a longer request and be like, hey, can you see how well this old Sandy Bridge does to whatever? And like all these obscure requests, I'll generally like be like, sure, I can do that and I'll publish into an article within a few days. That's awesome. So yeah, it always keeps me something to do and most of the requests tend to be interesting. There will occasionally be someone that will be like, 
can you write an article how to install the NVIDIA driver, which is like already covered <laughs> elsewhere. But that's one of the things I don't like is how all these Linux sites have to cover. How do you install XYZ application? Like, okay, if you need to cover how to install XYZ application, there's obviously a big learning challenge and something isn't going right fundamentally along the way with either their software package manager or um, the project's website that they're making it so difficult that you, you need to like research a guide just how to install like a photo program. Right. Absolutely. So what are some of the exciting things that are coming up for Pharonix website? Are there some articles that you can kind of put a teaser out there for or some things maybe you're thinking about that we could see? Um, there's going to be uh, plenty more benchmarks, the new processors, including uh, the other yeah, recently launched coffee like processors, and then more on the AMD Epic and AMD Threadripper front. Uh, with having these high core counts, it's really fun to run a range of yeah, workloads and uh, see how fast things can run. Uh, coming up in 2018, one of the things I'm most excited for is the likelihood Razer, uh, the gaming peripheral company, will release a Linux laptop is quite possible. Whoa, that's um, huge. Yeah, the, the, I've had some talks with them and they do have some interesting things in the pipe. There's no guarantees yet right now. And they're still exploring the market, but it's been one of the most exciting things I've yeah. heard or been involved with in a number of months. Wow. I'm I'm uh, a Logitech fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, if Logitech will come up with a good Linux laptop. <laughs> uh, they're, they're so bad with support for Linux, Logitech is. It's not even funny. Yeah. Well, at yeah. least there's been the open source community with all the different uh, yeah. tools around there for supporting Logitech devices. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you tried all uh, the Lib Rat Bag if you're a big Logitech fan and uh, the Piper GUI? I have. I didn't actually. I looked at it. I didn't actually go and try to install it. I didn't have the time to go and install it and uh, try to configure it. But uh, I did see it. I just haven't done anything with it. It's been pretty interesting. Like I've tried around with. I have two Logitech devices. One of them was having problems because the program is really designed if you have some LEDs. And so this particular Logitech mouse, I had didn't have LED, so it was crashing and whatnot. Um, but thanks to this year's Google Summer of Code, there's been a lot of improvements to this Piper GUI interface for dealing with Liberat bag devices. So uh, yeah, it's definitely been very nice for those who want to control their mice or keyboard under Linux. Yeah, we did cover it, I believe, in one of the earlier episodes. I just we didn't. Did. Yep. Uh, I just didn't actually go and install it and play around with it, so... Well, when you guys get to the point where I'm at, you'll just get oh a Zowie FK2 and not have to worry about really? drivers. <laughs> really? <laughs> Look, Logitech you mice... You don't have to mess with little Logitech, uh, Logitech beginner come consumer come with memory as well, okay? They come with memory, <laughs> and they hold the profiles and everything. You just can't configure the extra buttons, that's all. Hey, no tucks, <laughs> no bucks. That's why Logitech is not seen anywhere except my webcam, which you can use the GovC view for at least editing your... Uh, you know, settings for the Logitech cam, but there's no real good competition to Logitech in the webcam front. Otherwise, I'd throw it in the trash too. <laughs> also, another thing that I've been really happy with, uh, just thinking about it some more uh, compared to when I started Phronix to now, is that there's been a lot of more uh, efforts from the different software projects on ensuring better uh, quality of their software in terms of like Ubuntu's daily ISOs are now pretty good for anyone testing. Fedora's been able to drop alphas. There's been a broad focus on continuous in integration and uh, build testing more often, everything along those lines, where basically anyone wanting to grab the latest code uh, can, and it generally works much better with most software projects compared to like 2004. 
and then the Linux Foundation with their core infrastructure initiative and Google with uh, their different work on compiler sanitizers, that the overall code quality of Linux has improved. Whereas back in the early 2000s, people were saying, oh, Linux is so secure. Well, in recent years, we've seen there's been more code vulnerabilities. Um, but at the same time, there's been more code quality improvements at large. Yeah, That's another nice thing over the past decade. It's definitely gotten easier. Even like I started on KDE 3.5. And even from back then, it's gotten so much easier to just download and install something. So definitely yeah. a good thing. Oh, right. And then also with the packaging moving forward with App Image or Snaps or mm-hmm. Flatpaks is also something to look forward to. Absolutely. Well, Michael, you are like an encyclopedia of awesome. <laughs> I, I have enjoyed this interview so much. I mean that just being able to hear kind of from your perspective and you get to interact obviously with a lot of the manufacturers and developers a lot more than your average user, which, you know, a lot of is what we represent a lot of. And so it's awesome to be able to hear kind of the insider story of what's going on. And obviously Phronix is a huge force in the Linux world. Thank you for all the work you've done. Thank you for the site. Thank you for joining the podcast. And we want to have you back on. I hope uh, Rocco didn't scare you away from coming. Back. Oh, no problem. I'm happy to be back on anytime <laughs> and uh, always happy to rant about Linux hardware and other Linux topics. Excellent. Yeah, it was an excellent conversation and we appreciate all the effort you make, man. Oh, no problem. Yeah. Thank you. Glad to be on here and have a good day. Take care, Michael. See you, man. That was one awesome interview, man. <laughs> That guy is like Encyclopedia Brown. Did you ever read those books when you were growing up? I mean, this guy has so much knowledge in the brain. I just want to take a straw and siphon it out if I could and and just transfer it into my own brain. This guy was awesome. I mean, he he really gave us a very, you know, I tend to be very excitable. I know you've never noticed that. No, Rocco. I've never noticed that yeah. before. Uh, I tend to be excitable, but he gave us a very kind of down to earth view of what's going on in the Linux world. There was lots of exciting news, but then there's also some things that, you know, obviously the, you know, with the gaming, especially and things that Linux is going to have to find some solutions towards. Now, I'm a little more optimistic because Linux always finds a way, it seems. And so I think things are going to change on that horizon. But he certainly has the insider view, the insider knowledge. And I was just, I don't know about you, but I was just kind of sitting there. I would get the question out and then I just wanted to absorb as many of the words in lingo (laughs) that I could in a hope through osmosis that I could gain some of the smarts there. What did you think? Well, it was very sobering news to, you know, hear somebody talk about uh, Linux gaming in a in a realist view, you know, because we always mm-hmm. talk about how exciting the gaming industry is for Linux and how it's coming up and we can't wait for this to come out. And there was some, you know, sobering thoughts on his part about whether it ever will become like a, a Windows platform on gaming. But there's always that eternal hope with Mm -hmm. Linux to, well, in general, there's always that eternal hope that it will work out. Okay. So uh, I'm excited for the future. I'm excited for Linux in general. So it was a, it was a great interview. Guy has so much knowledge. Yeah. And I think that the exciting part about it was the hardware hearing about Intel, AMD, NVIDIA, uh, all their support from their GPUs to their CPUs for Linux and how both of them seem to be very committed uh, to making sure their hardware is working. And he was absolutely right. This is the best time ever from a hardware perspective. And when he talked about compared to 2004 
and being able to go out there and get a new PC and run Linux on it that's ever existed before. So that's, you know, just ultra exciting stuff, I think, for the Linux community. And yes, we talk about gaming a lot. Uh, and a lot of people will be like, there's more to life than gaming. What about all the video editing and everything else? And I would say uh, to that, that there are um, so many great video editors or, you know, uh, graphic design programs or gaming design programs and things like Blender and all these options for Linux. Whereas gaming's that one area when we do videos and you talk about how great Linux is, that seems to be that nagging point where somebody's kind of hung up on why they don't want to switch to Linux yet or why they're dual booting. So not that gaming's everything and we joke about that sometimes, but it is an important aspect to a complete desktop transition to where even if you are a gamer, you wouldn't have to dual boot, say, into a Windows environment. And that's why we push it and are excited about news regarding gaming within well, the one thing I was excited about was, it, like last week, we covered uh, all of the behind-the-scenes features of the Ubuntu's, okay? And this is a guy that does all the behind-the-scenes work of benchmarks and testing for people who go and they'll they'll grab this information, they'll talk about it, but this is mm -hmm. the guy that is actually making the big push and all then doing all the, the hard work and heavy lifting. So again, I will say, if you can, if you're able to, uh, please go over and support Pharonix as much as you can. Definitely. And I want to make sure you you heard the part about XFCE being one of his favorites. Well, there, I did hear, I don't remember, <laughs> I, or should I say, how should I say this? I don't recall uh -huh. something about XFC, but I do recall something about GNOME. <laughs> See, I don't remember that part. That's oh, so weird. That's, it's like we were in two different interviews. It's like selective hearing almost, huh? <laughs> Well, I want to thank all of our patrons for all of their continued support. It's just been incredible. Our patrons have grown week over week. It's been amazing. So thank you for continuing to support our work and this Destination Linux podcast. And where are we going to be able to find you this week if we want to hunt you down, Rocco? Well, if you want to hunt me down this week, you'll find me on Friday Night Live because every week on the, the Big Daddy Linux YouTube channel, we get together. And there, last week we had, I think, 12 people on all at the same time talking about <laughs> Linux. It was great. It wasn't chaos, was it? It was a little chaotic at times, but. <laughs> I heard somebody wore a cowboy hat. Um, it was weird hat night. And, um, yeah, so. <laughs> Who started that? I don't know. Some <laughs> guy that likes green, I think, started that. <laughs> Anyway, you can find us on the YouTube channel. And if you want to join us on Friday Night Live, you can, you're going to have to download Zoom, which is uh, zoom.us, install it, and we will put out a link on the uh, live stream of how to join us. Where can we find yep. you, Ryan? Well, we'll be doing some videos on my YouTube channel related, of course, to the Black Magic Box we talked about earlier in the show. And I will be on Friday Night Live and probably playing some Rocket League with Rocco at some point because it's just got to happen, doesn't it? <laughs> it always got to happen. <laughs> all right. A big thank you to every one of you guys, Telegram group and all. We appreciate all the support you give us. Very much. So you have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Yeah.
Look at that Dos Geek shirt, man. You got the brain and everything on there. Oh That's just amazing. I'm going to go there. You don't, I've never seen you actually get one of these. I, I haven't. <laughs> Did I say that out loud or? All those muscles. It's terrible. <laughs> that should be in our outtake. I wish you recorded that. It was so funny. How uh, are these muscles looking? Who says I wasn't recording? Oh, man. <laughs>